Hello and welcome to The Independent Minds, a series of conversations between Abbasida and people who think outside the box about how work works, with the aim of creating better workplace experiences for everyone. I am your host, Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida. Today, I am joined by Anthony Silver from Talent Recognition. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Before we start finding out about talent recognition, please tell us a little bit about Anthony Silva. Of course, it'd be my pleasure. <laughs> I have no problems talking about myself. Good. <laughs> After about 10 years in banking, venture capital and private equity in the late 1980s, I assembled a clothing distribution group, which I sold after it being turned around and made profitable. After that, uh, in the early 90s, I went into what was then the newly deregulated telecom sector and built a diversified uh, telecoms group uh, with units in Germany, the US, and obviously in the UK. By about 2010, I could see the writing on the wall. Telecoms had become highly commoditized. And so I started to divest uh, with my final disposal in 2015. From about 2010 onwards, I was approached to consult on some projects. One or two of these matured into non-exec roles. So for instance, I've been through a series of funding rounds from C to C round with valuations rising from 3 million to 150 million. If I have a specialty, I suppose it's in process automation and scaling innovation, which does come in useful for change management. If I have a skill, I suppose it's looking at problems from a different angle. That's, that's very interesting. I'm tempted to ask which, uh, which problem have you been looking at from a different angle recently? <laughs> well, many commentators uh, do say that recruitment is broken. One of, I think, the most telling uh, symptoms even before COVID shook up employment, was the level of, of attrition or employee churn, which before COVID was running at about 16% across the UK economy. Some sectors such as hospitality are a lot higher than others, such as engineering. Uh, and even now after COVID, attrition is still at about four, 13, 14% and rising. If you think that every year you have to replace 15 or 16% of your staff. Taking a step back, what that means is, is that every six years, a company will expect to replace its full staff complement. And that's assuming no change in size whatsoever. So assuming no growth and no shrinkage. Obviously, growth and shrinkage happens. I think it's staggering. And it doesn't seem to really have been absorbed within a sector. So in recruitment terms, if you have 1,500 employees, that means that every single working day, you need to find a new employee just to replace the one that left. It's a salutary thought, and it explains why we have such a large recruitment industry. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not the recruiter's fault. Normally, if something has such bad KPIs, you would turn around and say, well, it's the sector's fault. It's the, you know, the recruiter's fault. It's not the recruiter's fault. 
my own feeling and, and, and our research has shown that recruiters have not been given the right tools to do the job, not by their companies. I'm not saying that their companies won't give them the right tools, I'm just saying that technology has not delivered these tools into recruiters hands. So they carry on really um, trying to patch the dam without ever getting in front of the problem. As an HR person, recruitment is the thing that you have to get right. If you hire the right people, you hire out all sorts of various different issues that are going to come back and bite you or potentially bite you during the time that that individual works in the organization. So we need to get recruitment right. We need to get better at recruitment and we need to use all sorts of different tools to get it right. But I also think that there are so many different other issues around recruitment that aren't actually part of the recruitment process or the employment process as well. There's all sorts of external cultural financial issues that impact the way in which people view employment. So we also need to consider that when we're thinking about the problem and that, yes, we can say there are aspects of the recruitment process that I wouldn't necessarily say broken, but could be very much definitely improved but it's not a process that operates in isolation from everything else that is going on in the world. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's really well expressed and it's absolutely on the money. Uh, the fact is, is that what you get wrong in recruitment does come back at you from comp and benefits. It comes back at you from industrial relations. So companies take two different approaches to solving problems They have what I call the top down and the bottom up. The top down is where uh, sort of people in authority are looking down and saying, what is the problem? How can we find a solution? Who can I delegate to make this happen? And there's the bottom up where you're turning around and saying, well, actually, what are the components? Rather than try and fix the problems, why don't we just get the components right and see how that happens? Personally, I favor bottom up. I think it's far more effective. I think it causes less heartache and I think it's quicker as well. Management's still very much focused on top-down because it gives them a sense of empowerment. That's a whole new different debate there, Anthony, which we can have <laughs> another time. But let's let's stay focused on this recruitment issue. Yeah, I'm sorry. And you know, no, 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 no problem at all. But the get recruitment right and you're onto a winner, get it wrong and it can prove to be very expensive. And that it's getting more expensive to get it wrong. I, I think that's true, but I also think that because there isn't yet a perceived way of getting recruitment right, everyone is quite happy bumping along with getting it wrong. I don't think people are happy bumping along getting it wrong because at the time that you make the offer of employment to someone, you seriously, genuinely believe you've made the right decision. Nobody offers somebody a job believing that they're offering it to the wrong person it becomes, well, you know you've got it wrong after the person has joined. It's like you make the meal, the ex- you follow the recipe, the expectation is going to be perfect. But when you take it out of the oven, it's not worked. And that's a similar sort of thing that happens in recruitment. Nobody, I believe, offers a job to somebody knowing that that person who's receiving the job offer is the wrong person for that job. What you're saying, I think, though, is that the tools that we're using to identify the best person for any particular role could be improved. Absolutely right. We shouldn't necessarily be relying upon 
gut reaction or so-and-so knows somebody. What you're saying from talent recognition is that the processes and the tools that we use to identify the right person for a job could be not just improved, but vastly improved. So what is it that talent recognition have done to create something that will improve the recruitment decisions that people make? But before we go on to that, okay. what I would uh, also like to do, if I may, is to just say exactly what we mean by recruitment and, and, and where the cost lies. Okay. I think with, with talent, the immediate impression in people's minds is basically talent is sort of, say, middle to senior management upwards. And those sorts of recruitment decisions are taken with a huge amount of care, a huge amount of research. But if you, if you actually look at the stats, the median UK salary last year was 33,000 pounds a year. Within that, 65% of UK workers earned less than that 33,000 a year. 80% earned less than 44,000 a year. This is where the majority of recruitment takes place. And this is where the majority of the cost lies. And this is where the biggest cost of attrition is as well. There is a higher attrition rate for lower paid jobs than there is for higher paid jobs, which should be sending a message in itself. So when I'm talking about recruitment, when talent recognition is talking about recruitment, we're not talking about middle to senior management upwards. We are talking about the lower paid end of the market, which constitutes the vast majority of recruitment and cost, a lot of which is outsourced. That is true. So the vast majority of people earn average earnings or below, and the vast majority of people are working in jobs where it's easier to get the job, easier to leave the job, easier to find another job, because employers almost take for granted that people in those types of jobs, key jobs, skilled jobs, but not managerial jobs, will move around more often than people who sit behind a desk all day. Absolutely right. But that not need not be the case. And, and, and there's a reason why it shouldn't be the case, which is... For low-paid jobs, invariably hard skills become less important because the new employer will train the uh, successful applicant in the way and the style that they want them to operate. I'll give you a good example. If, say, you're working as a shelf stacker at supermarkets, you may think that there is no training at all. Does every employer of that type have a way in which they want a certain number of shelves stacked in a certain way during a certain work shift. And it takes up to five to six months to train uh, inductees to get to that standard. They can't do it overnight. It takes time. Now, during that period, they'll probably lose 20 or 30% of the people who join within the first couple of shifts so there is a huge cost of training and there's a huge cost of attrition, all of which is a sunk cost. No one actually sits down and calculates what that cost is because it's the cost of doing business. It's already accounted for elsewhere. And this type of wastage is costing your listeners huge amounts of money and that need not be the case. Right. The cost of uh, attrition within an organisation 
is passed on to the end consumer? Always, always. So what is talent recognition doing about it? Okay. We, we've described what we call the recruitment paradox. And the recruitment paradox is soft skills are more important than hard skills. But the first opportunity to assess the job seeker's soft skill is at interview. The trouble is you've discarded the majority of applicants prior to the interview based on their hard skills. That's a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. <laughs> you know, the, I can train you in the hard skills. You bring the soft skills with you. I'll recruit you for your hard skills, but I will dismiss you for your lack of soft skills. It's a little bit like a story which I've told many times about London taxi drivers is they do the knowledge. They know where the streets are, the restaurants, the hotels, cafe, all that sort of stuff. That's their knowledge. The skill is being able to drive the taxi and the soft skills is being able to make the passenger feel welcome in their taxi. If you know your way around London or any city and you know how to drive, you like people, become a taxi driver. If you dislike people, but you know your way around and you can drive, become a lorry driver. <laughs> it is that simple thing is that, yes, I'm going to, the traditional way is to hire people for their hard skills and to fire them for their lack of soft skills. So yeah, I, I agree with you on the paradox, the recruitment paradox, good way of describing it. Well, the paradox is very real and it is the reason we believe, or the, certainly one of the most important contributing factors to attrition. Our solution is very simple. As job seekers upload their applications, such as sort of CVs, resumes, or, or LinkedIn, they look into their webcam, phone cam, with a passport pose. We generate six images. And from those images in real time, we analyze just under 2 billion data endpoints across our neural network. What that does is it generates a soft skills analysis for each applicant. At that point, it then matches that applicant's soft skills against the soft skills best described for that job. What it does then is it creates a pick list for the recruiter so that they can see all of the applicants in order of best fit for the role. The recruiter can now make their selection for the interview pool based on soft skill information. So Anthony, this sounds very sci-fi if i'm honest it's like you can identify someone's potential soft skills from taking a series of photographs of their face and then the computer does something with almost two billion data points to identify someone's potential soft skills there must be an awful lot of science behind this there's a huge amount of science. Um, a lot of it's been developed since 2020. Uh, there are about 3,000 peer-reviewed papers in scientific journals, things like Psychology Today, Nature, on causation between uh, genetic and hormonal changes and psychological effects. Anything specific? Yeah, in, in fact, they're currently rolling out a program now which allows doctors to remotely identify patients with early coronary artery disease 
simply by those patients looking into their webcam and it taking a series of passport photos in a similar manner to the, to the way in which our system works. So with that, I suspect that the disease in its early stages may create changes in people, minor, minor, minor changes in someone's appearance that the human eye doesn't detect, yeah. but the software will detect. Oh, exactly. It's a bit like, uh, if you think about it, they're now using AI to identify whether or not certain moles could be cancerous. Right. AI is pretty good at doing this sort of stuff that we humans don't like doing. So to uh, that end, yeah, that's exactly exactly the same thing. There, there, there's a shit, there are about 4,000 facial substructures under the skin. And our system, as I said, runs about 2 billion data endpoints across the neural, across its neural network, part of the analysis. If an employer is using talent recognition, what sort of changes would they see in their recruitment process? Or what sort of changes would they have to implement in their recruitment process to make it work? So first of all, there's very little or virtually no change at all in their recruitment process. Uh, our system integrates into existing infrastructure. Uh, we are designed to work with corporate IT infrastructure. So that's number one, there'd be no changes. Number two, you probably find your attrition lowering to the point where you probably see savings of about 20% in your attrition, which if you want to make a business case for it, will give you a return on investment of about 25 times. More importantly, you do eliminate unconscious bias. Because we're matching personality to role, we're ignoring uh, ethnicity, gender, and neurodiversity. So what you're getting is a credible AI-backed audit trail proving the elimination of recruitment bias. Finally, you're getting better outcomes. You've got people who are going to be better attuned to your organization, people who are going to be happier doing the work. And these aren't the people that you would normally have picked because you would have discarded them probably well before uh, interview stage. A, a good example of this is for those of you who have ever seen the program Big Bang Theory. We all know that Sheldon Cooper is the standout candidate on paper. But if you ever employed him, everyone else in the company would leave. So really what you want to be doing is you don't want to be interviewing Sheldon Coopers. You want to be interviewing the Leonard Hofstadters. This is what TR Recruiter gives. That presents um, a different dilemma, I suppose. Is like you do want someone's hard skills, but you also want the, pers the person with the hard skills and the soft skills to work in the organization. And somewhere along the line, we need to make sure that the people who have the hard skills can also develop the soft skills. So I suppose in the scenario that you've just outlined, it doesn't necessarily mean that you wouldn't interview someone and you, or that you wouldn't give them the job, but you are going through that process with more information and can adapt to the way in which you manage them, the support that you provide so that they're able to integrate and be an effective contributor well you've got to understand the issues that people bring with them so that you can manage them and end up with an employee who's got all the skills both hard and soft that you need exactly right what what, what tr uh, recruiter gives you for the very first time is it gives you soft skills analysis 
which you can combine with the hard skills analysis to make sure that you make a selection based on better information. You're still going to get it wrong. You're still going to do your best and it won't always work, but your KPIs will improve. You'll get real benefits such as elimination of recruitment bias, and you'll get a happier and healthier workforce. Because they're doing work which is more suited to their personality. Well, I'll give you an example. When I was at school, I happened to have an incredibly good maths teacher at the age of 12. And what that maths teacher taught me uh, took me through to what you now call GCSEs, which were three years later. Now, I wasn't particularly good at maths, but because I had a great maths teacher, I really enjoyed it. I excelled. And this is really not about ability. It's about what you like, what you feel comfortable with. You don't have to be very good at something, but if you enjoy doing it, you do it better. Yeah. What TR Recruiter gives, what gives that recruiter are people who are more likely to enjoy it, who have a psychological leaning towards it, and they will perform the role better and they'll fit better with their colleagues. It sounds like something that's well worth giving a try. But uh, for the moment, Anthony, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation and finding out more about talent recognition. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. Great stuff. Thank you. And uh, thank you to you for listening to The Independent Minds. I am Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and I have been having a conversation with the independent mind, Anthony Silver of Talent Recognition. You can find out more about both of us at abbasida.co.uk. There is a link in the description If you've enjoyed this episode of The Independent Minds, please give it a like. And to make sure that you don't miss out on future editions, please subscribe. Remember, the aim of all the podcasts produced by Abbasida is not to tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.